Lord, I thank you for everyone that you brought tonight. We're not here by accident. We're here by your design and purpose. And uh, you're going to speak very uh, specifically into our hearts, not only collectively, but to each one individually. You're going to challenge us. You're going to comfort us. You're going to stretch us. You're going to open our lives to you, Father. I believe tonight you're going to change us. There's going to think, there's going to be a divine transaction happening. It's going to be supernatural in nature. And we're going to leave this place knowing the things that maybe we've struggled with, maybe all of our life, we're going to be set free from. And that is so profound and powerful. So I, I pray, open our hearts to you. May your spirit, Father, so permeate our innermost being that as we leave this place, we'll know that we have been in your divine presence and that you have met with us and uh, this has not just been another service. This has been an encounter with tr- you, the true and the living God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Now, Paul Dawson and his family uh, basically took a vacation like many of us do. And, and uh, he shares kind of a challenging insight about the nature of much of our Christian experience. They went to see the Grand Coulee Dam. I don't know. How many of you have ever gone to see some of these dams? It's kind of interesting. I've been in, uh, out near, near Las Vegas and we've seen the, what's that one called? The Boulder. Boulder Dam. That's, what's that? Hoover. That's it. Hoover Dam. All right. Thank you guys. And uh, you can tell it's really had an impact on my life, right? <laughs> It's really, really stuck with me. But no, it is, it is pretty amazing. And while they were there, they kind of noticed that as they were getting towards the, in, you know, the visitor center where they have all these displays, they kind of thought, you know, they must have some tinted windows or something. It seemed relatively dark. But when they got inside there, they recognized there were no lights on and none of the displays were working. And it was really def- due to a technical difficulty of some kind that the visitor center that sat only a few hundred feet away from a hydroelectric dam had no power. How many, how many think that's a little ironic, you know? Don't you think it's kind of funny, you know? How could something be so close to the power source and not have it? No power. And yet, that's kind of an analogy sometimes. We can be around the things of God. We can be in and around the presence of God, but not tied in to God's power source. And wow, that is so tragic. We see that even in the New Testament. God himself shows up in person, and they can't identify with him. I mean, the most loving person. And what happens? Some of the most religious people on earth crucify their own Lord and Savior. What a tragedy. So I'm convinced today that many believers are living like the visitor center. They're in the dark and near the source of an inexpressible and glorious joy, as Peter mentions in his first letter. Think about what Peter says. Though we have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Now you think about that. He's basically saying when we are tied into God, the outcome is joy. And yet I have to admit in my Christian journey that there's been moments of a lack of joy. You know, I have been disconnected to the source somehow. And, you know, I've, I've had to take a hard look at myself and say, hey, God hasn't changed. You know, yeah, we have. There's something that's gone wrong here. And so that should be our experience. And he was writing to a group of people that were suffering tremendous persecution, great suffering, and yet they had inexpressible joy. They had so much joy, it was over, you know, it was abounding in their hearts and lives. And I believe that that's the experience God wants us to have. Think about it. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and that to the fullest. I've come to give you abundant life. I've come to give you an amazing life. And a lot of times as Christians are going, but I'm not experiencing this. So there's got to be a short circuit. There's got to be something that's wrong in this picture. So why are so many Christians struggling and living in despair? Isn't that a great question? Why? Well, there seems to be some sort of a lack of connectedness with the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit has come to give us power to live a joy-filled life. Now, uh, in the 16th century, there was a man who was a soldier. You know, I've been, I've been actually listening to a whole series of lectures. Just finished on the history of the Reformation. It's really amazing how Christians can actually be fighting with each other. It's really sad. 
mean, think about it. We have different ideas. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about you know, how we see what, what constitutes a true Christian. But Ignatius Loyola, if you know anything about you know, church history, you'll understand. He's actually a Catholic. You know, Did you guys know that name? Anybody know that name? Yeah, I'll tell you who he is. He's the founder of the Jesuits. So some people, oh, he's a terrible guy. No, what happened was he was a soldier who was wounded and began to realize his life, you know, his ambitious life to be some sort of an important person all dissipated because he had an amazing encounter with Almighty God and totally changed his life. And then he wrote these powerful words. And I don't care, you know, what background, what denominational stripe we're in. We could just write this stuff off. But listen to what he writes about the Holy Spirit, which I think is very insightful. He says this. The good spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, is to provide courage and strength, to console and inspire, to move to tears, all in a spirit of peace. Everything is made easy. All obstacles are removed to enable the soul to continue in virtue. Now, he's not talking about life being easy. He's talking about what happens when the Spirit is at work in our life. What happens is that all of a sudden, the things that are hindering me from really becoming the person God's designed and desired for me to become actually gets removed. Isn't that powerful? We can actually begin to live powerfully for God. Then he says this, Comfort, he says, is the name given to any growth in faith, hope, or charity. Charity is an old name for love, okay? So faith, hope, and love. Or to any inward joy which summons or draws a man or woman to the things of the next world, to the saving of his own soul, bringing the soul to peace and tranquility in its creator and Lord. But he says spiritual distress. Now he's going to paint a different picture. Spiritual distress is the name I give to whatever is opposite to the foregoing darkness of soul, the disquiet of mind, an attraction to what is coarse and earthly, all restlessness proceeding from different temptations and disturbances, such as the temptation tending to destroy faith, hope, and love. The condition which the soul finds itself listless, apathetic, melancholy, like one cut off from its creator and Lord. Oh, that's very powerful. That's very insightful stuff. What is he basically saying? There's really two conditions. There's the one condition when the Spirit of God is activating us. The Spirit of God is empowering. It's bringing joy and hope and love, and it's, it's drawing us away from the things of this earth, or we're disconnected from the Holy Spirit, and we're living with this sense of you know restlessness, this you know, desire for what's wrong, this, this, you know, apathy, and even this melancholy, this dis- disturbance within ourselves, where we're unhappy, you know, we're looking for happiness in all the wrong places, you know, that is very powerful. We're living in a day when many are struggling with spiritual distress. You know, this past week I was reading a text of scripture in the book of Deuteronomy, and the curse, one of the things it said was simply this, that you would have be distressed of mind. When you and I disobey God, when you and I sin against God, a lot of times it creates huge mental distress. How many recognize that? It says that. That's part of the curse of what sin brings into our life. And you know, we're living in a culture today that we've, we've, rel- we've, we've actually pushed God right out of the picture. And so we're looking at life strictly from a humanistic p- perspective. And so we evaluate people based on their physiological and psychological aspects. So we're looking at the human mind and we're looking at, you know, our, 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 physiology, our our chemicals inside of our brains and our body. And so when we go, you know, we're distressed and we're, we're despairing. And I'm not suggesting that we stop taking chemicals, you know. Yeah, sometimes our chemicals are out of whack. I get that. But you know, our culture, that's the only way they can address the problem. But here's the problem, you know, and let's, let's be realistic. We are consuming so much pharmaceutical stuff today. It's unbelievable as a culture. It's true. Let's be realistic. And you know, some of the problem is not necessarily physiological. That's not the root issue, folks. The root issue is far more, far deeper than that. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the reasons why I started writing out of the book of Proverbs, you know, I'm, I was excited. You know, I'm a pastor. I want to help people in their relationships. And, you know, of course, what's the number one problem? People tell you what's wrong with our relationships is the lack of communication. So I thought, hey, I'm going to study from the book of Proverbs on communication. But you know what God did? He flipped right around for me. 
right on my head. You know, I started studying this stuff and I began to realize that there's a deeper problem in the lack of communication. Actually, the communication problem is a symptom of a deeper problem. You know what the problem was? Our heart. Because it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when you transform the heart, it changes the way we communicate. And so the problem is far deeper than just the words we're using. You have a changed heart. You are now going to communicate in a different way. And so I'm saying to us tonight, many are the problems that we're faced with are actually spiritual in nature, but we're addressing them solely as a physiological and psychological problem. And we're normalizing it. We're telling everybody, this is normal to feel this way. And yet God did not design us this way. There's a deep longing in our hearts to be happy. How many say, I want to be happy? I got my hand up. And Jesus said, listen, there is a happy life for us. But it's a lot different than what we think, you know. And we're going to talk about how do we discover the happy life? How do we get those endorphins that create happiness in our life? Hey, if you're doing the right thing, you feel good about yourself. But if you're sinning against Almighty God, you're sinning against yourself, and you're sinning against others, you're not going to be a happy camper. And that's reality. And so we don't address it in the right way. We just take a pill for it. Come on now, the Bible says sometimes we got to turn our hearts to God and say, God, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. And isn't it amazing in our brokenness how God comes and his peace sweeps over our hearts and he sets us free. And there's a joy that comes into our hearts like Peter talked about. It's inexpressible joy that God wants us to have. Well, today I'm going to answer the question, how can I be changed? How can I be transformed? How many here would like to say, I would like to experience a transformation in my life. I want to see change in my life. Well, Paul talks about this when he's writing to the Ephesian church. And he's writing and his focus is so beautiful. As a matter of fact, you know, over 20 years ago, I preached six sermons on one sentence. You go, really, pastor? Yeah, I did. So today, I'm only going to look at a little part of the sentence because it's going to take me as much time as I need tonight to really develop just a little part of the sentence. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 is one sentence in the Greek. I don't know what we do with the English translation. It's only one sentence. But I want to look at the last part of that one sentence tonight. And we're going to look at three amazing, powerful truths in regard to our special relationship to God. And I want to look at the first one as simply the motive for God's choice in selecting us. Isn't that an amazing thought that God selects people? Think about Abraham. He's living in Ur of the Chaldees, this huge civilization. They're all idolaters. They all worship false gods. And yet it says the God of glory appeared to Abraham. Why did God choose Abraham? Don't you think Abraham kind of felt afterwards? Wasn't that a special thing that God made himself real? Isn't it amazing that God makes himself real to people? I I think that's so amazing. So why would he choose us? And then I think of the disciples. You know, they heard Jesus, and pretty soon Jesus spent a night in prayer, and then he selected 12. And then Jesus says this in John chapter 15. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So he had a reason for choosing. He says, I got a purpose for choosing you. You know, it's not to just sit down and say, oh God, I'm such a wonderful person. You need to pick me. You know, that's that's how, you know, don't you remember when I, I grew up in a little there was points in my life I, I was in a little town in southern Saskatchewan. When you're in a little town, everybody knows everybody. How many know that's true? And then you go out and you play ball and you're picking the teams. And when you're a little guy, you're like five or six years old, and you got the other kids that are like 15, 16 years old, how many know you're not going to get picked first? And how many know that you're probably a liability to that team? And so you're going to get picked at the end. And finally you get to the end and you're standing there and somebody goes, okay, come on on my team. In other words, I'll take the liability, right? And if you do something good, it's like bonus, right? (laughs) Isn't that true? Yeah. Don't swing at the ball. Just let them walk you. You know that kind of stuff? Does everybody relate to what I'm saying? You see... 
Why, why does God choose this? It's not because we're so amazing. Think about Israel. It says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. God says, I choose you. You know, you, know, you, you were the so, so messed up, you were broken. There's so many powerful analogies. I could spend all night talking about how messed up Israel was, you know, how God found them. It says there, it was because the Lord loved you. In other words, it's not something inside of us that God had to pick us. It's something inside of God that he chose us. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's God's love. You know, he says, I loved you. I kept the oath I swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery and from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So here in our text, we find the ultimate reason why God does what he does. And it says in verse 11, in him, in Christ, this is all in Christ. The moment I come to Christ, I receive all the benefits. It says, in, in him, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. The word that is translated chosen here is actually, it means to appoint or choose by a lot. In Deuteronomy chapter 38, 32 verse 8, it says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, he divided all of mankind. He set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. And so we see what God is doing is he's choosing certain people and he, and he calls them their inheritance. Do you know what happened? The moment you and I come to faith in Christ, we are now God's inheritance. We are now God's, you know, he, he, he's blessed because he has us. It's a really amazing thought, you know. God's choice of us, God's salvation of sinners really isn't so much about him choosing us that we've done something, but rather it's for his glory. And so in all of eternity, and even the angels right now are looking at what God is doing and they're going, wow, you picked that person, God? Really? I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. He was a murderer. Was he not? Of course he was. God says, I will pick him. I'll straighten him out. I'll put a little grace in his life. I'll transform his heart. I'll change him. And all the angels are standing around going, this is amazing. Look at the transformation. How many, you know, you think of the Apostle Paul, we all think of him, a great man of God, phenomenal saint of God. He was a mess when God picked him. You know, and sometimes that's what we think about. You know, some of us, we've let our past so define our lives that it's really messed with our heads. We just can't seem to move into the present or in the future in a correct way because we have allowed the past to define us. Can I just encourage us for a minute? If any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. All things are passed away. All things become new. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians. He says, this is what you were. And he lists all these sins. You guys were adulterers. You guys, you know, I could go down the list. Swindlers, drunkards. You know, sexually promiscuous. He could just list the list. Adulterers. He says, such were some of you, but now you are this. You know, probably the greatest illustration of it is, you know, when people are battling alcoholism and they go to AA, what do they do when they walk in? They're in a 12-step program. They say, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. Isn't that true? Okay, but listen what you need to hear. When you become a Christian, you can walk in and say, my name is so-and-so, and I was an alcoholic. But I'm no longer that because I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we need to get a hold of that in our head so that it redefines who we are as a person. We were that person. We were a depressed person. We were, you know, manic. We were all the labels that have been placed on your life. You were those things, but now you're not. And if we can just get a hold of that, because our culture says you're always that, but God says you're not. So you've got to decide, who are you going to believe? I'm going to believe what God says. And when you start to believe that, it starts changing the way you think about yourself and the way you think about other people. It transforms your life. Most scholars debate the issue of what follows. 
Is our inheritance from God or are we God's inheritance? And you know the reality is it's probably both. Some translations reflect it like the Amplified. But here God the Son is the Father's love gift to us. Jesus is the Father's love gift to you. It's the indescribable gift. Isn't that beautiful? God loves you so much he gives you Jesus. He sent Jesus. And we are the Father's love gift to his Son. Listen to what Jesus said. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. We are God's gift to the Son. Is that beautiful? How many here said, I never saw myself as being a gift to anybody. But tonight, I want you to know this. If you're a child of God, you're a gift the Father has given to His Son. That's why He died. That's the joy that was set before him. That's why he could endure the shame and the cross. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. Let me move on to the second exciting truth with regards to our special relationship to God is the means God uses to reach us. First is the motive. It's his love for his glory. The means. What? How does God do it? How does God come to us? You know, How can we respond to what he's done? God uses his word to speak into our lives. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. You know, our hearts are open to his word. We, hear his, we, 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 we have the spirit of God working in our hearts. We're actually hearing his message and we're embracing it. You know, I can preach with such passion. And you know what? If the spirit of God isn't working in your heart, it's just bouncing off like Teflon. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Isn't that amazing? The message empowered by the Holy Spirit. God uses the means of preaching the good news about what Jesus did on the cross for us. How he died, how he was buried, how he rose again, how he's coming back again. All the benefits of the Christian life because of what Jesus accomplished. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed you were marked in him with a seal. You were sealed by God. What's the seal? The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? A lot of us read that stuff or look at it and go, I don't even get what he's talking about, you know? What he's basically saying is simply this, that you've been given a deposit. You've been given a down payment. How many know if you're in real estate and uh, you're doing a transaction, what do you do? You put down a, a down payment. How many know you do that? And what's the idea behind the down payment? That's, that's to let the, the buyer know that you're going to actually purchase it and you've given out of you know, good faith, this is what I've given, and now there's an expectation that the rest of it's going to come later. Isn't that true? And that's exactly what happens when you and I become a believer. God puts his spirit inside of you, but that's just the down payment. There's more good things to come. The redemption that you and I have in Christ is only beginning. There's actually a whole development. God's going to give you a lot more than what you currently have. You know, a lot of us act as if we've got the whole deal today. We really don't. We only have the down payment. That's a small portion. Do you know when we're in God's presence, when we're finally, you know, in, his, in heaven, you know what's going to happen? You have a brand new body. Everything's going to work. Yes. It's never going to wear out. Isn't that great? That's amazing. Yeah, think about that. And then, you know, a lot of us, we struggle with, you know, wrong desires and temptations and, you know, we're battling, you know, the wrong thinking. We got all these things going on on the inside of us. Some of it's not so good, you know, a little moral pollution, you know. That's all going to disappear. You're not going to have that as an issue anymore because there's no sin in heaven. So all of a sudden, there's no sin to tempt you around you. There's nothing within you. You're going to have perfectly harmonious relationships. How many go, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, it sounds like utopia. That's what it is, folks. That's, there's a longing inside of us for all of these things. That's what heaven is. But we have to hear this word. It's vital because by hearing alone comes the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. But hearing is vain unless it leads to faith. It has to bring us to a place that we believe what God is saying. You know, you can hear it, but it doesn't have any impact until you actually go, I get it. And I'm acting on what I'm hearing. It changes us. Religious instruction, however sound, is not enough by itself. It brings light, but it cannot impart sight. 
The assumption that light and sight are, are the same has brought spiritual tragedy to millions. The Pharisees actually looked straight at the light of the world for three years, but not one ray of light reached their inner beings. Now you think about how amazing this is. Here are these guys who are religious people who are worshipers of Yahweh, and Yahweh comes in the flesh right before them, and they're saying to Jesus, who's Yahweh, we love Yahweh. Jesus goes, well, if you love Yahweh, you'd love me. And they go, isn't that, how many think that's actually amazing? That's an amazing statement I just made. But they didn't get it. They're looking, they're telling Jesus they love God, but God was standing in front of them and they hated him. And they eventually crucified him. There's a disconnect happening there, folks. How many see what, see what I'm getting at? Something's wrong. So they're actually hearing Jesus teach and preach, but it's not, their hearts are hardened to the message. They're not getting it. The word alone, uh, well, Tozer says the gospel light is light, but only the Spirit can give sight. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the word alone can open them or soften them. But for that to happen, the operation of the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital and essential. Do you know when you get up in the morning, first thing you should say is, Oh, Holy Spirit, invade my mind today. Invade my life today. Invade your word today. As I'm going to pick up this book now, the first thing I do is I want to meet with you and I want to encounter you. I don't understand this. My natural mind's not going to understand these spiritual truths. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, open this book to my mind as I start reading. And isn't it amazing what happens? Some of you have had this experience. You're reading your Bible and all of a sudden you're going, wow, wow, wow. I'm seeing things I've never seen before. You know, I've read this Bible, oh, I don't know how many times. You know, I've read it, you know, because I read it once a year. You know, and I read Psalms twice, I read Proverbs twice. I follow our guide. But I've been doing this for over 40 years, and I study it every day. Can you imagine? I'm looking, I'm going, I've never seen this before. And I've been doing this for years, and I'm going, wow. If you look at my journal, I can show you. There's all these notice to self Note, 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 note. I'm just showing, well, look at this, look at this, look at this. Just like it's coming alive. But you know who's doing that? The Holy Spirit. It's not that I'm bright, it's the Holy Spirit. You just keep praying, he'll keep doing it. You know, the Spirit, as William Cooper says, the Spirit breathes upon the Word and brings the truth to light. I love that. Now you have to understand, God is not going to overpower your will. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, God persuades the will. He makes the truth attractive to us. So no man has ever believed the gospel against his will. He has been given to see in such a way that he desires it. Now, how many here can honestly say, your passion is to say, Lord, I want to please you. I want to please you. I want to do what's right in your eyes. I want want everything that you have, you know. I I, I love your word. I just love learning about you, Lord. As a matter of fact, I am more excited about Jesus today than I've ever been. I've been a Christian for over four decades, and I'm more excited about the things of God than I've ever been going. This is more exciting. God, I'm, I'm understanding you at a different level. You're, so, you're the most amazing, most compassionate, most loving, you know, most consistent, most faithful person. I'm just, I'm just in love with you, Lord. You have never let me down. You have never let me down. You've allowed tests to come into my life. You have challenged me at times. You've helped me to mature. You've caused me to trust you. You've allowed things to occur so that I had to learn how to walk in faith. But God, you've always been there. You have never left me. You have never forsaken me. God is a faithful and a good God. And then we read this. He said, You know, he says, when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, what in the world is he talking about there? Well, Worsby writes this. For one thing, it speaks of a finished transaction. You know, we have a lawyer in our our church, Barry Hamilton. I've gotten to know Barry really well. And I've had, he's my lawyer. And so I've sat down and, you know, how many have ever gone to a lawyer's office and you're doing a transaction and they get their seal out? How many know what I'm talking about? And they, they stamp the paper and it's sealed now. You know what that speaks of? A finished transaction. It's, it's speaking of an official transaction. It's speaking of more than that. It actually implies ownership, security, and protection. It's an authentication. This is the real deal. Do you know in the first century, the majority of people were slaves? I keep telling you that. It's true. They were. 
What you may not know, and this is going to sound harsh, is they actually branded people. You know how we brand our cows? They would brand people. They'd brand them on their foreheads. So you'd look around. You know, you know what a seal is. You know, like when you're doing a letter, even in the old times, they would roll up a scroll and they'd pour some wax, and then they had a ring that was a, basically their specific seal and signature, and then they'd press it. And everybody knew that document came from that person. It's a sign of ownership. Do you know when you and I come to Christ, we're sealed by God? We have a mark, you know. See, now, I don't think he, you know, it's not a physical mark. But you know what would surprise you? If angels came by here tonight, they would know exactly who belongs to him. You and I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Is that amazing? It's just incredible. I love it. You know, every time, you know, we we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. J.B. Phillips, who's a translator, says this. We mean that we believe there's a living God able and willing to enter human personality and change it. Isn't that a wonderful thought? You know, we sang it tonight. I believe in the Holy Spirit. What we're really saying is I believe that there's a God who's able to transform and change my life because I'm incapable of doing it. I can't change me. I struggle with it. I want to change. I want to be better, right? Like the little girl, I want to be good, you know? But I'm having a hard time with this. But the Holy Spirit can bring about a transformation and a change in our lives. You know, one of the great issues in the church has been this whole idea of identification markers. I don't, you know, I had an epiphany. You ever have those epiphanies like aha moments? You You know, I was thinking about this. Who or what determines if a person is a genuine believer? Because the last few months I've been listening to these lectures. You know, I work out in the morning on the elliptical and I'm listening to these lectures on the history of the Reformation. And, you know, the 15th, the 16th, and the 17th centuries were huge in Europe for religious battles. Because you had the Reformation, you had people moving out of Catholicism, you had, you know, Lutherans, uh, Lutherans under Luther, and then you had Calvin and the majestic, what they called the. Uh, um, magisterial Protestantism. You, I won't even go into explaining what that means, but just trust me. You know, we have people have a Calvinistic theology that also included a way of seeing how government should work. And then you had the Anabaptists. And the Anabaptist means that there's another baptism. And you get baptized as a believer. And how many of those are different ideas? And those are all identification markers. You know, think about the Amish today. How do you know a person's an Amish person? The way they wear their clothes, Right? And then you can see they live in community, right? That's part of it. Or they, they, or else some of them, you know, have nothing to do with modern technology. And that's an identification mark. And you say, well, those are Amish people. You want to follow? You follow what I'm saying? And then if you're, if you're in the Old Testament and you're looking at what, you know, the markers of a Jewish person or a covenant person was simply this, that these people, first of all, they were circumcised and they obeyed dietary laws and they observed the Sabbath, and you knew that this was part of their identification marker. God says, they will know you're my people by the special identification markers. This is how you know that you're a covenant person. You observe the Sabbath. You eat certain foods and you resist other kinds of foods. And if you're a male, you're circumcised. Those are identification markers. So I'm going to ask the question, what is the true identification marker of a Christian? And in the 16th and the 17th century, they're fighting over all this stuff. But let me give it to you from the Bible. I think that's a good source. Here it comes. Yeah, think about this. No, it's the sealing of the Spirit. See, when we have the Holy Spirit in our life, we're changed. And Jesus said something very interesting in John chapter 13, in verse 35. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. See, When the Holy Spirit is working in our life, love is the manifestation of the work of the Spirit. We have love. But I think we're confused about what love is. See, our culture thinks love is tolerating things. They think love is tolerating evil. Actually, our culture wants freedom to sin, not freedom from sin. The only problem with sin is it simply doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian. The moment you sin, you become a slave to sin. 
And so we have to make a choice. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 says, you know, whatever I, 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 I give myself, whatever I, I surrender myself to, if I surrender myself and become a slave to God, I live in this joy and obedience. But if I, if I turn away and my back on God and I, I embrace sin, then I'm free to choose it. God will allow me to do it, but it brings me into bondage. And I need to know that. And yet here, the result in the work of the Spirit is love. Because notice in Galatians 5.22, I have it on the PowerPoint here. Think about it, or the pro presenter. Think about it. What does it say? But the fruit of the Spirit. How many know a little bit about grammar? If it was fruits, that would be plural. If it's fruit, it's what? Singular, it's one. But when I look at this list, there's more than one thing there. So I believe that what this means is that the fruit of the Spirit is love and that these other elements are all manifestations of love. Joy is a manifestation of love. Peace is a manifestation of the Spirit's love in my heart. Forbearance, some translations say patience. Patience means I, I have such a compassion for people. I, I, I don't easily get anger and irritated and frustrated by people. I have, I have patience. Now we're starting to see, is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, that's commitment. What's lacking in our culture today? Commitment, so people are not faithful, right? There's no loyalty anymore. But if you're full of the Spirit, there will be. Gentleness, self-control. Yeah, pastor, I just can't help myself. Well, that's not the work of the Spirit. Against such there is no law. But this is usually where the period is. We usually stop there. But look what the next verse says. This is where we don't even go. Look what it says. Those who belong to Christ have what? Crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Listen to me very carefully. If I'm full of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to say no to sin. It's true. And I'm able to say yes to the things above. And the outcomes or the consequences of saying no to sin and yes to God is that I have joy. Uh, how many of you can honestly say, you know, I've been tempted in some aspect in my life and I resisted it and afterwards I went, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, isn't that amazing? Sure it is. You know? Can I tell you something? The only reason why we're tempted is because there's a lack of deep abiding satisfaction in our soul. If you have a person that's absolutely satisfied, you can't even tempt them. You know, they're content. You know, I spent seven and a half years cooking. I, I think I could make a nice meal for you. As a matter of fact, I could make such a beautiful meal for you and you know, give you such beautiful food, and you could eat and eat and eat. And you know what? You could get to such a point in that meal. Like if you came over for Thanksgiving, let me tell you, there'd be so much food there, and you're just eating away. Eventually... You could get so full that I could walk up to you and show you a beautiful dish now, and you'd look at it and you'd say, You know, I don't have any more room. I'm fully saturated. You know, I'm, I'm satiated. I'm, I'm so full. I, I would, I'm ready to pop a button. If I eat this, it'll only make me sick, right? I don't want it. I can't. I, I mean, I want it, but I don't want it. I mean, if I was hungry, I'd devour it, but I'm so full, I don't want it. See, if we're so full of God, the things of this world lose their appeal to us. God, I'm just enjoying God. So good. Well, Jesus had the seal of the Spirit. You know, here, Jesus... When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked the question, how'd you get here? How many know the answer? He walked across. That's pretty good. He says to them, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you're motivated by materialism. That's what he's telling them. They said, do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So I got to ask a question. When did Jesus, you know, experience the seal of approval? When he was baptized. Because when he was baptized, what happened? The Spirit of God came on him. Isn't that true? Isn't that beautiful? And the Father said, this is my Son, and the Spirit came upon him. And then, uh, 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, The Holy Spirit was sent upon him in total fullness. Although he was still the Son of God, eternal, co-equal with the Father, he had limited himself. He had come in the form of a servant, and before he could do his work as the Son of Man and as the Savior, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. There was no miracles before this point. Did you know that? So all the stuff that you read about when Jesus' little boy is doing these miracles, it's all bogus. It all started after his baptism. It says the Spirit was given to him, not in measure, but in all fullness. Thereby God set his seal upon him. It was because he was thus empowered by God through the Holy Spirit that our blessed Lord was able to speak and do his mighty works. Folks, you and I can do how much without God? That's it. You're right. Nothing, zip, good answers, right answer. You can't do anything. You need God's Spirit in your life. Let me move on to the third important truth. Well, let me just say this, because I think this is an important caveat. Nobody can be indwelt by the Spirit of God and keep that Spirit to himself. William Temple writes this. Where the Spirit is, he flows forth. And where there's no flowing forth, he's not there. You know what's so fun when you're walking in the Spirit? You know, and you're not even thinking. You're just flowing with God. You know, and I shared this illustration in the morning services. We went to Jamaica a few years ago. And uh, we'd gone to Dunn Rivers Falls, you know, and we did all that stuff, and they're taking pictures. And then I didn't have any cash on me, and they wanted to sell us a little DVD. And I said, yeah, I'd like to get one. They said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll meet you outside your hotel. We're not allowed to go into the resort. It's protected, right? You'll have to come out. How many know when you come out of a resort, people are looking for people coming out of a resort? And a lot of people go out of a resort because they want to get into trouble. So I walk out of the resort, and I'm looking for this guy who's going to bring me the DVD, you know, of our family doing all this fun stuff. And this guy walks up to me, and he goes, Hey, man, Jamaican, right? Hey, man, I've got some really good stuff. i got some really, you know, solid dope. You really want this stuff. And, you know, I didn't even think. The Holy Spirit's just speaking to him. I just said, Hey, man, I've got something better. He goes, Really? What do you have? I said, I've got Jesus. He looks at me like, uh, he goes, I'm a Pentecostal. And immediately I say, and you're sure not acting like one. You know, Holy Spirit, I'm just, you know, I'm in the Spirit, right? You're not acting like one. He goes, man, you don't understand how poor we are. we got to subsidize our living. I go, no, no, you don't understand that you're just telling me you don't trust God. You're telling me that you have to do something immoral and illegal and, you know, actually mess up people's lives. You know, if you can plant plants of marijuana in the soil, you can plant food sources too. But I said, you know what? I'm not here to judge you or criticize you, but I believe today, it wasn't by accident you walked up to me. I believe that God sent me to tell you, you got to stop what you're doing because you're destroying yourself. He just got, he started breaking down. You know, Holy Spirit's dealing with this guy. I just said, I'm going to pray with you. So I took him by the hands. You know me. I take him by the hands. I'm starting to pray on the street. Now, I could see after, you know, there was people. They they were lining up to get me, right? I could see it. But the moment I took his hand, started praying for him, I'm going to tell you, all the evil designs of the enemy out there, they just moved away real quick. Because they saw that if they're going to come and talk to me, I'm going to pray for them. You know, and they were freaking out. You know, and you know, I'm serious. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we're walking around going, you know, I don't have anything to offer. I'm afraid of everybody. Folks, if we're full of the Holy Ghost, there should be a Holy Ghost boldness inside of us. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. You know, you can be fearless. Now, I didn't do this. I didn't go, you know, well, I'm a pastor, you know. I didn't have to say that. I believe that it doesn't matter who you are. As long as you're full of the Holy Ghost, God's going to use you. And you don't have to be, you know, this is on my vacation marks. You know, well, I'm on vacation. I'm, I don't do that stuff. Do you know when I'm on vacation, believe me, the Holy Ghost is still flowing through my life. I'm still ministering to people. Ask Patty. It's, I've had friends, and they're going, it's scary watching you with people because the Holy Ghost is going to leak out out of you. I believe that. The Holy Spirit's supposed to come out of us. Amen? Actually, I have more fun on vacation because usually I'm dealing with Christians. Now I'm just dealing with a whole bunch of non-believers and I have fun with them. Believe me, I have fun with them. It's true. Let me move on to the third exciting truth regarding our special relationship to God is the manifestation of His power at work in and through us. God wants to work in you 
He wants to transform you, and then he wants to work through you. Oh yeah, I found him too. That guy was that guy was looking for me, so he came over. He's the only one that got near me. The rest of them were scared. He wanted the ten dollars, whatever. Yeah, I got my CD. That's good. Yeah, I didn't tell that in the rest of the service. Nobody asked that question. Okay. But God wants to work through us. Now, this whole sealing of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to close with this thought really quick. I'm going to wrap it up. Think of it. There's been so much controversy in the Bible. You know, I really thought that once I knew, you know, I started studying Greek and I started studying Hebrew, I'd have, I wouldn't have these problems anymore. I'd actually get to the root problem, Mark. I would understand what the original language said. There'd be no horsing around. I would get it. But you know what I've discovered? That even the people that understand the language and the grammar, you can be taken one way or the other. And a lot of our translations, it just depends on your theology. They translate it one way or the other. How's that? It didn't help me at all in that sense. So I said to myself, you know, here's the two arguments, and I'll give them to you really briefly. Number one, when we are believe and receive Christ, we're immediately sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's one position. And then the other position is that when we believe, subsequently we're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a sealing subsequent to that. Okay, let me just say this. I don't exactly, I'll tell you why there's a dispute. You know why there's a dispute? Because Christians can be so inconsistent and they're wondering why is it that when some people come to faith their lives are radically transformed and there's other people that pray or say they believe and nothing changes. That creates all kinds of grief inside of people's heads. Like what's going on here, you know? And so we have all these theologies out there about what causes change in our life. Because let's face it, if the Holy Spirit comes and invades your life, you're going to change. Okay, we got that? So I'm going to move away from that argument, okay? I'm just going to push it all aside because everybody agrees with Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. You know what it says there? It says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery or excess, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek tense there is a continuous tense that really should be, could be translated, be continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. So God is commanding us. It's an imperative. He's telling us, Every day we should be saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. I want to be full of your presence. And, you know, if we live like that, we're going to be full of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see things start happening big time. You know, but you think about somebody who's inebriated. What's happening? They're under the control and the influence of of alcohol, right? You know, I could even translate it this way for the 21st century in Canada. Don't be high on marijuana. Same thing. You're out of control. You know, because you're not truly who you are. You say, well, I don't like who I am, Pastor. Well, then be filled with the Spirit. Then you'll be like God. You'll be godlike. You'll be godly. Woo! You'll be full of love. You'll be kind. You'll be gentle. You'll have self-control in your life. You will be concerned about the things of God. But so many of us are going, Pastor, that's not my life at all. My life is so fragmented, so broken. I'm battling with despair, depression, all these different things, anxiety. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, there's a problem here. The Holy Spirit has come to give us peace and joy, right? We just got to get plugged in. We just got to get plugged into the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to have a stand, because I've left a few minutes now. I want us to stand tonight. And you know, this morning we had such an amazing time because I said, you know what, you're here tonight. And you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I want to change. I want the power of the Spirit in my life. I want to overcome the distress in my soul, the anxiety in my spirit, the fears that are driving my life. I want those things gone. I want to invite you to come right now. You're struggling right now. Just come really quickly. You come right now. I'm going to pray with you. Do you know what happened in the early church? The Apostle Paul came and he was preaching. He comes to Ephesus and he says, come on, right up to the front, guys. Right up to the front. A lot of people are going to come tonight. This happened in the, this place was just packed this morning. Both services. He said, since you believe, come on over this side. Come on on this side. Come on all the way up here, guys. Come on real close. That's good. I want to pray with you. Others are going to come and pray with you. We're going to lay hands on you. Here's what you need to know. Great. Just keep coming up. You know, a lot of people 
Think about it. Paul was preaching and he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? He said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So it's not just believing the right things in our minds. It's experiencing the presence of the living God in our soul. It changes us. It frees us from our fears, our anxieties. And you know, how does that happen? You know what? This is going to sound strange. I'm not super holy. It's not, that's not what it's about. But I understand something. That the Holy Spirit, when you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit wants to work in and then through you. And I've been praying. I've been praying with some of the guys in their church. I've been praying with our altar workers. We're just going to lay hands on you. And it says, on the, upon the laying on of hands, people receive the Spirit. And we're going to pray tonight that fear and anxiety and despair, all these things that torment us, these mental torments, God's going to set you free. He's going to fill you with His Spirit. He's going to replace it. There's going to be a displacement. He's going to fill you with joy, with hope, with love, with grace in your soul. Isn't that beautiful? So let's let's do that. We're going to pray right now. Mark's going to lay hands on people. I'm going to lay hands on people. Tom, just different ones of us right now. You're a child of God. Karen, come on up. Why don't you know if you're a, a you know a believer, you you have the Spirit of God in you. You're not here for prayer. You're here to lay hands on people. Come on right up here. Come on up a little closer, guys. Let some people come up. There's still people in the in the aisles. Come on right up. Come up closer. I promise I will not bite. Okay? Good. Awesome. Let's pray. So, Lord, right now, we come in the name of Jesus. We lay hands on our brothers and our sister tonight. We pray that you will anoint them by your Holy Spirit, that you will bring freedom and joy and peace and grace in their lives, Lord. You will deliver them from anxieties, Lord. You will deliver them from their fears. In the name of Jesus, fill them, I pray, with your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. Touch hearts and lives. Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord. Touch them, Lord, with your Spirit. Fill them, Lord, overflowing tonight. Lord, may we truly encounter you, the true and the living God. May we not just have been to church, but may we have been in the, in the presence of the living God. May you bring about transformation. May you bring about change in our lives, O oh God. I just pray, fill them to overflowing, Father. Lord, you hear their cry, the longing of their soul, Lord. I pray that this deepen every day. This will deepen, deepen, deepen in their life, O oh God. That they will grow in their understanding of the Word of God. They will grow in their relationship with you, Father. They will grow in their joy. They will grow in their peace, O oh God. That the, your Spirit will move powerfully and boldly through their lives. They will no longer be fearful and shamed, O oh God, by the things of our world. They'll become a mighty army in your sight, O oh God. You will use them supernaturally, O oh God that the gifts of your Holy Spirit are going to flow through their lives, oh God. That you're going to use them in spite of their brokenness, their weakness. Oh Lord, it's just, we're all little clay pots, Lord, but the power is the Holy Spirit living inside of us, Lord. May we experience that to its fullness tonight, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And we say amen and amen and amen. Bless you as you leave tonight. Bless you. Bless you.